morning, afternoon, or night, whenever you decide to roll out of bed, we're your hosts, Kristen Hoyles and Sarah Yako. And welcome to our podcast, Waking Up with Millennials. This week, Sarah met with Zach Banks and Viet Block. Zach and Viet are musicians and music educators in Pendleton, Oregon. So what inspired you to interview them? Well, as you know, Kristen, we have known Zach since our first introduction to music. We started learning our own respective instruments at the same time in the music program in middle school. And Zach has since gone through a journey for sure. And he now lives in Pendleton with his now fiance, Viet. In regards to Zach's own story, I know that his journey was not smooth sailing. And there was something about Viet that told me hers wasn't either. So I was just very curious to understand what happened in between our time of of knowing him and where he ended up today and how their journeys ended up intertwining, as well as the backstory of Viet herself and what drew her to love music and brought her to be the amazing semi-famous performer that she is today and hopefully one day world-renowned. I have all the hope in you, Viet. So <laughs> let's get into it. So my name is Viet Block, and currently I'm located in Pendleton, Oregon, which is in Eastern Oregon, and it's where the whiskey and the blankets come from. Um, <laughs> and my occupation, I'm a violinist, and I am also a music educator. So I perform not as much as normal, but I perform and I also teach private violin lessons and coach music in general. My name is Zach Banks, and I live in Pendleton, Oregon as well. I currently serve as the education director for the Oregon East Symphony, and I also serve as the music director of the Grand Ronde Symphony Orchestra, which is located in La Grande, Oregon. And I'm also a freelance cellist. What would you call this chapter in your life? Oh, I have a also have a birthday soon. So like being older, I guess you always think of like it's a good check-in time. So I was feeling like this chapter is like me finally figuring out how to adult and I'm still figuring <laughs> out. But like now I'm like actually an adult. Like I can't be like I'm a kid anymore. Like I'm old enough now. I really am an adult. And I feel things that have happened at this point, I have gained more experience and a little bit better at how to deal with things. <laughs> yeah. How old are you going to be? Um, 27. Yeah. That's definitely the year I feel like shit started to turn around. Like you're finally at like that tail end of your twenties and you can start to look yeah. back at things. <laughs> what about you, Zach? I would say just, I feel like thirties. Like that's the name of the chapter. Like, here you go. Thirties. You can no longer say that you're in your twenties, which is so weird, right? Like once you cross that threshold, you're like, uh -huh. Oh, okay. That's like a little scary. I feel like I'm going to hopefully focus more on mental health and physical health now because I'm 30. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly just that number. I'm like, Oh gosh. Okay. Like I really have to do this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's what I would, that's what I would title this chapter right now. 30s. 30s. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. 
have you both performed any shows lately or had any big performances lately? Not since the pandemic as much. Before the pandemic, I played like in a lot of symphonies for the Oregon East Symphony here in Pendleton. I'm the assistant concertmaster, but then I would also substitute with the Yakima Symphony and the Boise Philharmonic. So I would travel a lot for different concerts like that. But since the pandemic, mainly the performance I'm doing are chamber music that's pre-recorded and they're a lot, lot more sparse compared to normal, but I'm very thankful for them. I would say the same thing. Currently, we're finding out as kind of freelance musicians, there's a big focus on chamber music, small groups, whether that's trios, quartets, quintets, that kind of thing, to where you can sort of gather safely within COVID guidelines and everything. And of course, turning that into online content. So, well, I guess I'll speak for myself. I have been super, super grateful for any opportunity lately because they're so few and far between that mm-hmm. when one comes around, you go, oh my gosh, this is, this is so nice to have uh, something to practice for, something to prepare for and sort of dive into. One really cool thing is that Viet and I usually get to do that together. We live together and we play together all the time. So that's a huge bonus. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Super Mm -hmm. convenient to have your playing partner live with you. (laughs) Right. Also, I forgot to congratulate you both on getting engaged. (laughs) Thank you. That's That's super awesome. It's like, Again, one of those silver linings to COVID is like, we can kind of put that off and and not have like families be like, coming down on you like, okay, you got to start planning the wedding, we can just blame it on COVID now. um, (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is kind of nice. You've mentioned, you know, what you do for a living. So did you imagine yourself in these positions when you were younger? Yes and no, I definitely imagine myself being a violinist and a performer from a really early age but I didn't see myself as a teacher at all really until maybe like a couple years ago I was working on my master's degree and I got a job as a substitute teacher for a it was a violin teacher and I got to have like basically an insight one day of his life and I subbed one day and I sat through I don't know 10 students maybe and then I've after that I realized I really enjoyed one-on-one teaching and it was a lot of fun and so then I gave it more thought about being a private teacher so after I graduated and I moved to Pendleton I started building my private studio and I still perform so I, I feel like now I get the best of both worlds and I was surprised to find actually teaching other people has helped me grow myself in my own playing. Mm-hmm. Were you like born with a violin in your hand? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I was actually born in Vietnam. So, and then I moved to the Portland when I was 10 months old. So I'm sure in my mom's uh, mind, it was like the farthest thing she could have ever imagined me being probably was to be a musician, let alone playing violin. But I really liked dancing to classical music when I was like three or so. So I had it actually wanted to be a ballerina first. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And my dad played an auto harp, which is a like a folk instrument. And so him and his buddy 
played the guitar would have music at the house. And I guess I was really fascinated by their instruments. I don't really remember this, but there's like pictures of me like wiping down and like cleaning his guitar and I had a little <laughs> ukulele. I don't remember any of this, but I think from that, my dad offered me when I was six first grade in first grade, if I wanted to start an instrument or a sport and I chose an instrument and I knew what the violin was because of Sesame Street. So that's part of why it's nothing that actually, nothing that special besides I knew what it was. And Mm -hmm. my name starts with a V and violin starts with V. And I thought that was pretty cool. I just happened (laughs) to really like it and never quit. (laughs) Yeah, that's super funny. (laughs) How those little associations like have guided you to just like the thing that you purely love in life. (laughs) What about you, Zach? As early as I can remember, I was pretty sure I wanted to become an educator. Throughout grade school, I would form really strong connections with a lot of my teachers, especially the ones you like, just like anybody else. You have some of those memories sort of ingrained. And I felt so close to these teachers and I admired their enthusiasm just for knowledge, like they're sort of like respect for knowledge and then how they sort of radiate that out to their classes. Like you should be proud to be learning all of these things and that it can be fun. And then also those teachers that just have that respect, sort of mutual respect and build that between their students. And, you know, some of my favorite teachers, I would just think, oh my gosh, they're so cool. And how they can just not necessarily control a class, but guide a class and a good teacher can sort of capture the mood. And so that was super inspiring. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be an educator. And then I picked up the cello and fell in love with the cello and fell in love with music. And so I was kind of torn between the two. Did you know you wanted to play cello when we had to choose an instrument in sixth grade? I knew, yes, I did. Once I got my hands on the cello. I knew that I wanted to do strings because I had been playing guitar a year before we got to choose our string instruments. And then going through all the string instruments, I was like, violin, no way, that's way too small. And then the bass was a little bit too big. And I kind of thought the same about viola. It just felt a little too small for me. And then once I picked up the cello, it felt like it was a perfect fit. And then now I have sort of the best of both worlds, a musician and an educator. So... I, mm-hmm. Yes and no. I kind of am in that role that I envisioned, but, you know, with some variations here and there. I think it's so fascinating, Zach, because I know you so well. Um, you shared with me about your, for, you had at one point wanted to be a conductor or you thought that was fascinating when you were really young. But actually now you you are a conductor for work. <laughs> yeah, that's a thanks for yeah bringing that up. I kind of always forget about that. Because as soon as I communicated that sort of dream and drive towards that goal, it was like immediately extinguished. <laughs> like I like reached out for advice uh, to from a local conductor, and he was like, "It's it's hard work." He was like, <laughs> he was like "It's it's not all it's cracked up to be." You know, you gotta. I don't know. He was like really flippant about it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Like. That was really, really underwhelming when I was so excited about this. So like I just immediately sort of went back to cello. I was like, okay, I guess nothing about me stuck out uh, enough to to sort of 
show any garner any interest from this person who i looked up to so that was unfortunate but yeah that's a good point yeah that was an early (laughs) goal and here i am yeah i get to conduct some orchestras now it's always helpful to have someone else remember parts of your life too (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) was there a major turning point in your journey of of your careers or just your life experience in general or I think maybe a better question to ask is like a major shakeup point in in your journey so far. Yes, I think the first one for me happened when I was 16 and I was a end of my junior year going into my senior year. My parents don't got divorced, but it was very long process, so it really lasted that entire time and then didn't finalize until I was like done with my first term in college. So that was a huge shakeup point that just kind of everything like went bad for a while after during that. And at that same time, I had like a fallout with my best friend at the time. So it was like a very lonely senior year and a tough senior year. And I just kind of checked out and basically did whatever I wanted to do for a while. And that Mm -hmm. kind of snowballed. And I moved out when I was 17, went to school, started going to college. But I think probably because of that shakeup, I was still a bit antsy. And so I didn't know how to, and just being on my own all of a sudden, I feel like I didn't, uh, I was kind of not dealing with things. So I didn't want to process those things. And so I just kind of covered them up. And I didn't realize for a couple of years until maybe I was like 20 that all of a sudden I was 20 and like so many things have gone by and I wasn't doing so well in school and probably partying too much. And so that was a huge turning point for me and like a positive direction was kind of regaining control of my life with that. And then that brings me to like this year with the pandemic a huge shake up there because I mm-hmm. always kind of knew I wanted to be a musician and my like dream job has always been to play for the Oregon Symphony because that's the one I grew up watching and inspired me. And by the way, for those of you who don't know about the Oregon Symphony, there would be like the premier symphony in the whole state, even a good chunk of this Pacific Northwest region. So there's like the holy grail of like of 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 orchestra seat, you know. So they got furloughed, all of these fantastic oh, musicians. So it felt like, oh my goodness, all these people who've dedicated their life, and that's what I aspired. And now, like they're just out of work. So it was kind of crushed my dreams a bit, or kind of made me question um, where to, what my life goal is. Because that had been the same for so long. Mm-hmm. So what I've come up with now, it took a while. But now my new goal is to like keep growing in three areas. And to just kind of... My goal is so narrow. And had I have always had a hard time separating like personal from work things. Because like they're really tied together. Like for me, music has always been so much a part of my life. And like being a violinist, so much of my identity. So to zoom out a bit and think of myself, not just as that, but like as a person and like, what, what do I contribute to other people? So my new thing that 
is to keep growing in three areas each day. And I'm not saying I've gotten there yet or even do them all each day, but to grow in like wisdom or like in a spiritual sense to like grow my spiritual wisdom. And then to keep growing in music, even though it's sometimes hard without having concerts, but to keep growing musically and like give myself projects and like pieces to learn just for like my own sake. And then I can share it with others. And Mm -hmm. that brings me to the third thing is to consciously be more in tune with like, how can I do something to be in service of others? Since I think for me, concert, like playing a concert was that, but now that that was kind of taken away, like what can I do even on a simpler scale, like just one act of like kindness a day that might like make somebody smile. Yeah, that's really awesome. So you've identified these these two sort of shakeup points. So I'm wondering if that earlier point in in life is detached from this moment or if if it was a big influence in how you've decided to deal with this shakeup point. I think they're definitely connected. Like because I feel like I wasted time earlier on. I always felt like I didn't give my absolute best a lot of times even though I've done okay for myself I guess in my part of when I don't like myself is when I know like I didn't try like Mm -hmm. I only like half-assed it basically you know so also realizing I think I got out of my funk when I was younger because I had violin and when I started like not doing when I started noticing like my poor choices were affecting my violin that's like part of what motivated me motivated me to like get out of it right so mm-hmm. I guess that's um too is like why I had to figure out what to do next like if I if I'm not just focused on the professional side it's a good distraction for like the inner stuff that's still there so like how do I deal with the inner stuff that's that's dormant but when I am busy with concerts and things it's easy to to just kind of leave it at bay yeah that makes sense well thanks for illuminating that connection Zach what about you what has a major shake-up point or turning point been for you none it's been a smooth sail <laughs> this whole time perfect uh-huh. totally <laughs> no so I in high school was totally in love with the cello and was somewhat dissuaded from pursuing it in college by a few people and it wasn't super pressurized but it was more sort of um uh, light remarks from people that I really respect. So whether they knew it or not, it it held a lot of weight for me when I heard it, that Mm -hmm. you'll struggle your whole life as a musician kind of thing, that, that sort of stigma. And so I heard that a few times and thought, okay, I have this other passion, which is education. So the first time I went to college was in Indianapolis, in my home state of Indiana, where I'm from. So I decided to get to pursue a degree program in elementary education and moving to a bigger city like Indianapolis compared to my hometown. uh, You know, I was totally on my own. I had some friends nearby, which was nice, but in hindsight, I was just really not equipped to take on such a huge academic step and such a huge life step at the same time. 
as soon as problems started happening, and they piled up. And I was so proud, right, of, of being on my own that I thought I could solve these problems totally on my own. And we all know that's like a recipe for disaster, but it's hard when you're in it, right? And you don't see it. And you, again, don't have that emotional maturity to handle all of that. So, you know, I had some academic problems that were piling up. I was sort of dishonest with myself at first about where my heart was. My heart was not in that degree program. I was going that route um, based on outside advice rather than what I was sort of driven to do. It wasn't what I was driven to do. So that along with parting too much as well, um, you know, that was a recipe for disaster. I, I started to uh, treat school with less seriousness and less gravity than I should have and and sort of took that opportunity for granted the first time around. All around at the same time, too, I was slowly, at first slowly settling into depression, and then it sort of accelerated. And then after my second year of college, it, I sort of spiraled out of control. I needed to then get some help from family. I, I My family realized I, I couldn't do this all on my own, and so I sort of gave in to that and said, okay, okay. And so I essentially dropped out of school with a really damaged GPA, felt super embarrassed and felt like a complete failure and thought that, okay, I'm a dropout. That's sort of my identity. Where do I go from here? So fast forward, I ended up moving away from Indiana, which was something that had been on my mind since high school. My dad was living in Portland at the time. I had visited him and the Pacific Northwest a couple times and was totally enamored with it. So after I dropped out of school, I thought, okay, now's the time to go start fresh, get out of here, go figure out what you want to do somewhere else. So I moved out to Portland. And the first year I spent, I was just like heedlessly putzing around working here and there. And yeah, the last job I had before my path totally diverged. I was working the graveyard shift at a 7-Eleven. And at that time, I was presented with an opportunity to start playing cello again. And I hadn't picked up my cello in probably two years, at least. I just hadn't even picked it up. So here I am, like working at 7-Eleven. And it was such a weird situation. My dad's doctor was actually in a band. And they were just like talking at one of my dad's appointments. And he goes, yeah, our band, our, our cellist actually just left. And my dad goes, oh, my son plays cello. And so he was like, yeah, 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 let's exchange information, blah, blah, blah. And then I decided to just say yes. I had no idea who these people were. And I just got my cello, went and started playing music with them. And I ended up being in there, playing in their band for the next six years. And Was they, that the bluegrass band? Yeah, that's right. Their name's Whistlin' Rufus. And they are now an extension of my family. You know, we're super close. As soon as I started playing music with them, I, a, a spark was was lit immediately and I was like oh my gosh this is absolutely where I need to channel my energy so I heard from a few people about 
the music program at Portland State University. I decided to schedule an interview slash audition. And as soon as I set foot in that school, I knew immediately, like, this is 100% where I need to be. Walking through the hallways, you hear opera singers rehearsing, and you hear jazz big bands rehearsing, and piano players locked away in practice rooms, and it's like magic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was just like boiling over with excitement. And so I, I did my interview thing and audition with the cello professor there, and he was all for it. He was on board. He was like, yeah, I want you to come study with me. And I was blown away. So I started filling out my application and my GPA was so shitty that I needed somebody from the program to sort of co-sign me. And my cello professor, he did without skipping a beat. He's like, yeah, no problem. I got you. And so he wrote a letter of appeal for me. Fast forward four years later, I graduated with a bachelor's degree, two years later with a master's degree, and never looked back. And it was so much fun after that moment. So yeah, super grateful for all of that. Yeah, that's a very in-depth story. And it's crazy to hear you say that because like, I, I was like part of it. I was like in your life you know, visiting you in Indianapolis and stuff like that. So yeah, you just like reminded me of like that whole journey of yours as well. And it's super great to see where you are today. Thank you. So how about the paths of the two of you? How, how, did, how did your paths cross? That's a, a perfect point to bring that up, Sarah. Um, <laughs> just after Zach's story, Zach coming to Portland State, I myself had been there for one year at this point in the music program. So I remember Zach coming, I think it was my sophomore year and then coming in and him being like the new cellist in the orchestra. And then later that spring, I think we had a, our first like gig together outside of school, but it had been like brokered by the same cello professor that we've been mentioned. So I got to get to know you a little bit more uh, it was a pretty fun gig. We got to go to the OPB radio studio and like go play for this Cody Chestnuts, this musician's like broadcast video they were doing and he needed like backup um, string players. And then I remember going to my buddy's house and we're going to a party. And then you happened, Zach happened to roll up around the corner with another really good friend I had. And these are friends I had made the fall, uh, previous year I had lived in the dorms and became really close with. So it was really shocking to me that unbeknownst to either of us, we had somehow befriended the same set of people, but completely separate from each other and had no idea. So I ran into Zach. And then after that, we started hanging out a lot. And we got put in a chamber music quartet together at school. So by then we were spending a good couple hours a week just in rehearsal alone, then hanging out sometimes on the weekends or whatnot. So it was a couple years we were friends. And then eventually it turned into a romantic relationship. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and another like little detail is that group of friends that we shared mutually, none of them were in orchestra, right? So it was just wild to think how, yeah, we ended up, none of them were in, had anything to do with the music program. So 
pretty cool. Serendipitous. Yeah, seems like it. I'm really enjoying uncovering this, these separate <laughs> tracks that have brought you two together. It's been really nice. Uh, so I have to credit Zach a lot for being a good influence on me. During this time period, we're talking about when we started hanging out, especially a lot more outside of school and rehearsal, as I, I was partying a lot, a lot at this time. And Zach, he would show up occasionally, but and was still social, but still always had his shit together when it came to schoolwork and his rehearsal stuff. I was like, how are you doing this? Like, I don't understand how you're getting this all done. And so, yeah, he just really, without actually saying too much of like, you're doing this or that, I could just kind of tell by your attitude when I was like under the influence versus when I wasn't. And just like, you were very encouraging when I on my own was like, thinking about like, I maybe shouldn't do these things anymore. <laughs> and uh, just amazed me that when I was at my worst, that you like still wanted to be friends with me because I was like not, I don't know, I was a wreck at that time. <laughs> That's super awesome that like the person you came to love was like this like guidepost along the way. And I assume maybe Zach was that was part of that because of the experiences that you had in indie, like seeing how, you know, observing how you went through that and like falling off a little bit and then getting back on the horse eventually and like knowing that you can, is that sort of the influence there? A hundred percent. Yes. Between Viet and I, I could immediately see who she really was and her potential just musically and personally and that it was being sort of suffocated at times because I had gone through that not too long ago. So Viet <laughs> says, looked like I had my shit together. Well, the secret, I think, to that is not having your shit together for quite a long time, right? But, you know, it's just one of those things where, yeah, you run into somebody and it, it just works. It, it clicks. And just sticking by somebody, no matter how much they're struggling, right? I was fortunate enough to have friends and family that did the same for me. So getting to pay that forward was, was an honor, right? It felt really good. So. That's awesome. So you two are engaged, regardless of the pandemic, you're both essentially doing what you wanted to be doing when you were kids. So do you guys feel like you've landed or do you now see a pathway to something different than than where you are now I definitely don't feel like I've landed and I don't know if I ever will but I just want to like keep improving and that's something I a different perspective than when I was younger but as I maybe I don't know maybe in my like early 20s I started to realize like oh all the people that I admire and all these mentors that I really look up to, they don't have a stopping point. Like they're always trying to improve or like they're like still have disappointments too. And they're still learning all the time. And then it really, it surprised me, honestly, actually to like hear the person I like admire so much saying like, oh yeah, thanks for coming to my concert, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't, I really wasn't so happy with, but it, everyone seemed to like it. I'm like, what? I didn't hear anything wrong, but you know, they're always looking in ways to improve. When, when I, before I thought there was like a magic 
a magic place you reach and then you're done. Or like, if you get this job, you're done. You've like made it. But now I don't see it that way at all. What about you, Zach? I, you know, yeah, I, I appreciate how you preface the question with, you know, pandemic aside, I've had to do a lot of thinking on that because of the pandemic and how that's affected like my professional life. There's so many question marks when I did have a lot more vision before last March. So yeah, thinking back to that, no, I don't think I've landed yet artistically or professionally. And just in the last couple of years, I feel just ready for more opportunities to like develop as an artist. Some things that I could not yet learn in school. School taught me so much and I'm grateful for every second of it. But until you get out of that and then you start getting into your professional life, then you start thinking about why, like, what is it that you're actually trying to do? I'm just now starting to ask all of those questions. And I, I appreciate that those questions are popping up because it's giving me energy and sort of direction to like keep progressing. I'm not necessarily chasing a big career, but I just want to grow, just grow more. So you said you're not necessarily chasing a big career. So is the statement trying to understand what you're really trying to do more about personal? Is that more of like an inward facing question or is that still more in relation to career? A little, a little bit of both. I, I, I really just hope I can still be as lucky as I am now, which is to be a conductor and be a cellist and be an educator in some professional capacity. But what I do with that, that's that question of what are you really trying to do pertains to those, those jobs, like, I guess, but it's also tied into my personal life. So uh, what difference am I going to make? What mark am I going to make on the world? And what am I going to, going to do with my art? Now that I actually feel sort of like an artist, I'm no longer a student. I'm this adult now. I'm in my 30s. The chapter is called 30. <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I'm shifting my focus to like, okay, yeah, what am I going to do for other people? What am I going to do for my family and myself to hopefully, you know, it's corny, but like make the world a better place, right? Yeah, it is super corny. <laughs> I feel like, do we all get there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like when we're young, it's like we want, we're told that we're going to make the world a better place. And then it's like, yeah, we are. And then something happens and it's like, we don't give a fuck. And then something happens around this time, 27, 30, maybe a little after that, where you're like, okay, now, now I can figure out how I'm going to make the world a better place. Actually, right. yeah, you've got, you've gathered all of these tools and the life experience mm -hmm. thus far. Right. So you feel stronger. I feel stronger than ever before. Right. But also more emotionally intelligent and, and all these things. So yeah, I'm sort of hungry to have an impact somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. Two more questions. Viet and Zach, what is some advice you wish you had? I think the biggest one for me that I've been unlearning is like, it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to not be the best because I feel like maybe part of my upbringing and maybe it's like a cultural thing too, a little bit, my mom's Vietnamese, 
but felt a little bit the opposite of times of like, if you're not the best, it's not worth doing, especially as a profession. Basically that like kind of mentality, if you're not up there, then like why bother? But something, first of all, that's just like unattainable and you're going to probably be depressed because you're not going to reach perfection. Nobody can. And my second of all, like as I've learned to appreciate my mistakes, that they help me grow. And two, I think there's not, well, people for sure, we we like to put things in categories and rank things. But in reality, no one person is better than another person. And jobs are the same way. They're all equally important no matter what, but some have more prestige and some don't. Or like the most simplest things that we don't think of. Like person who picks up the garbage and works at the garbage company. That's such an important job. But people sometimes like stigmatize that and like look down on that. Or in my field, realizing that if you're an educator and you don't perform that much and you're in like wherever you are, like that's such an important role. You're like shaping little people's lives for their future generation. And that's just as important as someone who plays in the world's best symphony. Along with that is is just that it's okay to admit feeling sad and it's okay to admit that like, get depressed sometimes and not, this one was super hard for me and to like acknowledge that that exists and to admit that to somebody else is really tough. So if, so you're not alone if anyone's feeling that way, there's people feel that way too. It's okay yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Viet. What about you, Zach? Some advice I wish I had mm-hmm. was that nothing is truly accomplished on one's own. And so what to do with that, I think, is to accept, accept a helping hand and to show gratitude for it. It's It's amazing what can be accomplished if you ask for help. It's, it's truly amazing. I feel that most people are good natured. People will go well out of their way to help you. It's, it's really miraculous. If, if you haven't tried it, I highly suggest it. It's awesome. And usually, yeah, people are just happy to do it. And there's actually another one. I couldn't decide between these two, but this is some advice I learned in college that got me to where I am today. And it's sort of tied to the last bit, but it's a phrase from a professor of jazz piano at Portland State University. And it is, call the destination and ask for directions. And I found that to be so profound and it made perfect sense to me. And I put that into practice and I truly believe that's part of why I have, where I'm at professionally right now. So essentially, if you have an idea, if you have a dream, you can go, you can walk out your front door and sort of wander and and cross your fingers and hope you make it. And a lot of people that could totally work out, but maybe entertain the idea of if you have a dream, call them up. If you want to be a conductor, call a conductor and ask them how to get there. It's so simple. It sounds so simple. But again, that ties back to my other point of nothing's truly done on your own. Ask for help and you will be surprised what what shows up. But always make sure to show some gratitude. Yeah. Sound advice. And that gratitude bit is a nice touch. (laughs) 
Okay, final question. What do you still dream of waking up to someday? Things I could say like world peace and things, but I don't know if we'll get, that seems like the simpler way for me to, or a dream that I have that I feel like is more for myself that would eventually rip, hopefully like ripple out to that bigger dream is just to like keep growing in love and to always wake up being better than yesterday. I dream of waking up and not hearing my neighbor's dogs every morning. Barking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, but uh, I mean, we could end it there if you want. That's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I just, I, I say that because I do wake up to my neighbor's dogs every day. And so I was like <laughs> picturing waking up in an ideal situation. And the first thing that came to mind was just quiet, just silence. And I was like, oh, that would be so nice. No, I I dream of waking up to an, an opportunity to keep doing what I'm doing right now. Like I, I dream of... of maintaining and sustaining a healthy relationship with my family and my friends and myself and my art. So whatever shape that takes, I'm all for it. Sweet. Okay. Thank you guys so much for talking with me today. So much for having us. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks guys. So that was adorable. <laughs> you know, I want to sort of go back to the, the the beginning of Viet's story a little bit. She mentions that she picked the violin because of Sesame Street and because her name and the violin both start with a V. So I'm wondering if, Kristen, if you've made some really important decisions in your life or even just, you know, some generally impactful decisions in your life because of little associations like that. Absolutely. And I'm going to come for you right now because the whole reason, (laughs) the whole reason I chose to play the violin was so that we could hopefully have a class together because I play violin and Sarah played cello because she told me that she was going to sign up to play the violin. And I said, oh, cool. I'll sign up to play that instrument, too. I don't I didn't care about playing the violin. And I was like, I'm going to play the violin so that Sarah and I can finally have a class together. And then you went ahead and chose a completely different instrument. I was like, what the heck? Luckily, I think we still had that class together. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- I don't think, I think maybe our first year we were in separate classes. Like there were two different classes. So that got a little fucked in the beginning or like maybe it was like the second year or something like that. But then throughout we ended up having class together. <laughs> yeah. I was Sarah. I was so mad. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> you've got, and you didn't tell me until after we turned in our permission slips, I was like, what the heck? And so like, if I wasn't going to play violin, I was going to play the clarinet because everyone in my family played the clarinet, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I felt just like personally, just like taken advantage of, I don't know, but I was so (laughs) upset. I was so mad. You're just like, well, I decided to play the cello because like my fingers are bigger. And I was just like, damn you. You're not, you're honestly not the only person I fucked over in this process. So I had also told 
Natalie, my other best friend, that I was going to play the violin and she should play the violin, but she's a year older. So she picked the violin a whole year ahead. She had already gone through that process of deciding that that's what she was going to play because I was going to play it. And therefore we would be in classes together. And then I picked the fucking cello. So (laughs) it's rude. It's rude. (laughs) It was rude. But also I was like 10 years old and I went to go, you know, get sized for an instrument. And Mr. Bradford, the orchestra director was like, you know, we already have a lot of violins. And I was like, but I want to play violin. And he was like, well, you should try the cello. And then I had just seen Ghostbusters. And in Ghostbusters, in the first Ghostbusters, uh, Bill Murray takes a cello off of a fireplace mantle, turns it on its side and plays like this bluesy, like jazzy little thing, just like finger picking in it. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know that you could play an instrument like, a classical instrument with like a different genre of music. And so that just blew my mind. But I thought you could only do that on the cello. (laughs) So then I was like, I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about this suggestion to do something else, especially because it means I don't have to just play classical music. Isn't that so fucking stupid? (laughs) I mean, that's just really funny how... I went on to like violin ended up being a pretty big part of my life and still is. And music is both a big part of both of our lives. And it's just funny that I made that decision literally based on like, I just want to have class with my friend. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And I'm so sorry, but I'm also glad that we did have class together. And I'm also glad that you chose violin because you're a fantastic violinist. And violin is actually a way more feasible instrument to play with other genres. It's way easier to play folky music or even jazzy stuff. And on cello, it's just kind of like bigger and clunkier. And people who, you know, are in bands or whatever don't understand how cello can fit in, but they understand how a fiddle can fit in. So it's really annoying when I'm trying to be like, hey, I play an instrument. Do you want to play with me and be my friend? (laughs) And then people are like, but I don't understand how because you play the cello. I'm just like, yeah, I can still play in your genre, though. Like, it's just a different sound being brought to the table. I don't know. That's all I have. (laughs) So Zach mentions difficulties handling the freedoms of being on your own, as well as being responsible for his own education. So how was that transition for you, Sarah? Like, I remember you coming down to Bloomington when I was at IU and coming to visit friends. And it seemed like you were never in the same part of the state at any point in the week. So (laughs) how was that transition for you in terms of having more freedom, but also having to take your education seriously? I was really caught off guard. Like I thought that I was very ready for college because both of my parents had impressed that I'm going to college on me from a very young age. Like I remember, so I was a swimmer. I started swimming when I was like three and then I just got too good for like this YMCA like swim class program that I was in. And, but I didn't want to be competitive. Like I just wasn't really a competitive person. But the next step after that was joining a competitive swim club. So I went to try out, got on and convinced myself that joining a competitive swim club was a good idea 
because I could get college scholarships. Like that's how much at the, at in sixth grade. So like 11 years old, that's how much I was ready for college because <laughs> I was already planning to get scholarships when I was 11. And, and I did actually end up graduating valedictorian of our high school, the way that our high school went, it wasn't that special because there were five valedictorians. You basically just had to have a four, have a 4.0 and then you became a valedictorian. We didn't have like weighted grades or anything. So you would think that sort of with that like early mentality of knowing that I was going to go to college, what the, my family expectations were and having graduated at the top of my class, that I'd be like good to go. But that was not the case. I I chose to go away. It was like three hours away. You know, it wasn't like across the country or anything like that. And I couldn't deal with it. I don't know. There was just like all of a sudden a lot more pressure than I ever anticipated. And it was interesting because I thought I could handle it because I had been a very competitive swimmer. I had, you know, been in orchestra, been a, been a, been an athlete, graduated at the top of my class. Like you would think that's sort of like a recipe for success, but it wasn't. My first semester, I ended up with a 2.999 GPA. And a result of getting that 2.999 GPA meant that I lost my scholarship because I needed to maintain a 3.0. Now that's really fucked up. And so I like called the school and I yelled at them. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. How can you take away funding from a student when it's my first year? Give me a fucking break. You don't care about students. (laughs) And they were like, they were so offended that I said that they didn't care about their students. Like, Like just the person I was talking to on the call, like I could tell that they were just so offended at that statement. They were like, look, we're going to give you your scholarship back. Just make sure that you're able to get above a 3.0 next semester. And so I did, but that really just was like a huge slap in the face in the beginning. And the difficulties weren't so much in the academic content. It was just in the freedom that I had to make whatever choice I wanted. And I didn't have this structure that was like, you wake up, You go to school, you're in one building that you don't leave until you're done with going to school. You leave and then maybe you have some homework because in college, it's the, there's the expectation that however many credit hours you take, I think you're supposed to, uh, like every credit hour is four hours of homework outside of, outside of school. So really no matter how many classes you're taking, it's still supposed to be like you're working a full-time job. And I did not get that for the first year, at least. So yeah, it was difficult. (laughs) But I'm wondering about you, Kristen. How was that transition for you? It was very difficult. I don't think I was ready to juggle the freedom of being on my own, as well as being just responsible for my own education. Like, you know, people would say like, oh, there's no one there to like wake you up in the morning or to make sure you get to class on time. But you really don't know that undertaking until you're thrown into it. And I wish I had transitioned into that a little bit easier, like a little bit smoother, where it wasn't just straight to freedom and being responsible for my own education, but maybe taking a year and staying at home for for a period of time 
just so I can start getting adjusted to making those decisions for myself and making them for me and not for anyone else. And it it was really not only just being responsible for my own education, but just like really owning it and Mm -hmm. knowing that my success is based on the energy that I put into it. And that was something I did not understand at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. Like I knew that I had to put energy into it, but I just didn't like, I wasn't ready to put full time energy into it in regards to Zach's story. So he says this beautiful little beautiful piece of advice that's call the destination and ask for directions. And I just think that's such a simple way to think about it, but it is so true. If you know what you want at the end, like he clearly had a a love for the cello and also a love for education and just lost his way and didn't know how to get to where he was going. But it wasn't like he didn't have these connections along his experience that could inform him and, you know, help him figure out where that destination was to provide those directions. So Kristen, I'm wondering how you feel about all of that. So pride has been my downfall (laughs) throughout college, for sure. I was somebody who just, as somebody who wasn't actually taking ownership of their education, she definitely didn't want input from anyone else. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person, but <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> just go with it. Go yeah, with just it. going with it. But yeah, like I loved when Zach said that because that was that little piece of information that could have solved a lot of like hardship for me and difficulties in navigating what it is that I even wanted to do. So it's something that I've sort of been implementing now instead of just like haphazardly navigating through life, trying to figure out what sticks and figuring out how to get to that destination on my own. I have been actively speaking with people who have the jobs, have the careers and have the life that I want. And I've asked them, how did you get there? What is it that you're doing every day? in order for you to carve out that life for yourself. And it's been incredibly helpful. It it takes, it lifts sort of that burden of trying to figure it out by myself. And I feel so much more focused because I not only have a roadmap, but I also have proof that it, that it will get me to the destination that I'm seeking. And so I just, I loved how Zach was able to sum that up and such something so simple, but yeah, it's so powerful and can be so meaningful as a piece of advice for someone. Yeah, totally. So after spending time with Viet and Zach, Sarah, how do you plan on waking up differently tomorrow? So one thing is we didn't really, you know, talk about, re, you know, rehash their uh, cute little meeting. I guess it's called a meet cute. Is that what that is? I don't know. That's such yeah, a dumb a meet cute. Okay. I love it. No, I love it. I love meat cutes. And I think okay. the name of it is adorable. It is adorable and they're adorable. And I thought that they had met because of music and they really just met because they knew people who they were interested in who weren't in the music program at all. And they just, you know, they gravitated towards the same group. I think there's some wisdom in that, some reminder in that, that 
if you're looking for love and you're looking for, like intentionally looking for it, you're probably not going to find it. We just like the episode before this, I was talking about my boyfriend. We have since broken up. So now looking for love again, <laughs> just being, being reminded that just be patient, wait, pursue your own dreams and your own interests. And also another thing that they both mention at the end is at this point in their lives, not only are they trying to figure out how to improve for themselves, which I think is really important and a great reminder, but also how to use their talents to give back to others. And that's definitely something I've been trying to live for the past few years that we're trying to live through this podcast and our other live in the momentum efforts. But just thinking about that more on a regular basis and, you know, trying to put as much of my heart out there as I can without depleting my own energies. So there's that. What about you? How will you wake up differently tomorrow, Kristen? So I, going back to what we just previously spoke on, I love that saying, call the destination and ask for directions. And I've been sort of implementing that now in my life and now having a a nice little phrase that I can say to myself when I feel like my pride is getting in the way could really help me stay focused on the goals that I have for myself. And not only that, but I think that little nugget of wisdom is something I could very easily pass on to other people around me. And I, it wasn't until I heard Zach say that, that I really started to reflect on all the ways in which my pride has pushed me in wrong directions. And so I'm just very much looking forward to sharing that wisdom with more people and with our listeners. Because I think it could be very helpful. And sometimes we don't realize that sometimes we just get in our own way. So I'm excited to see how implementing that saying in my life more often, how it'll help free myself from my own pride. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Like, <laughs> yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> right? Wow. All right. Great talk. Sweet. <laughs> Yeah, no, but fuck those dogs. Fuck them. They suck. (laughs) Join us every other week for new episodes and insights. In the meantime, check out our blog or contribute to support our mission at liveinthemomentum.com. Special thanks to Eric Heibretter, for a theme song and audio production. If you feel like you have a story to share, reach us at info at liveinthemomentum.com.